Totally true. Totally true. All right, guys. Friday night. Welcome, Hector. What do you got going on there? <laughs> You're showing uh, the I was just asking if I book an 18, if I book an 18 uh, scotch is the right drink for tonight. Um, <laughs> The topic it might the topic might need that that <laughs> that to go on. So, well, uh, thanks for uh, joining us, Hector. It's great to see you. And we have Brittany Brown and David Leary, the very famous Brittany Brown and David Leary. That's right, oh, famous. Hey. It's the famous night. It's the famous people night tonight. The famous people night. Finally made it. Yeah, it's, awesome. It's, yeah, I know that Hector has been asking you like twenty eight weeks in a row, David, to join us. So. I, I, <laughs> Every week there's a Facebook message and I'm like, I think I could do it this week. And then I can't. And then, and then one time I thought I was going to do it. I was like, send me an email invite or a calendar invite. And then I don't think you ever did. And the next, you know, you guys are on the air and I was like, too late. I'm in bed. So. <laughs> yeah, he heard I was going to be on it this week. And he was like, Oh, Brittany's going to be there. All right. This week. Let me. <laughs> that, that, I was sold there. Yeah, right. David, that doesn't, David, that doesn't make me sound needy at all. So thank you. <laughs> Uh, so let's start with you, Brittany. Brittany, tell us a little bit about uh, your practice. We usually invite accountants, as you may have known, our, our faithful listeners and viewers. And mm -hmm. we have uh, David, who's a hybrid between an accountant and a computer. So That's we'll. True. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good description of you. Seriously. Right. So Brittany, so Brittany, let's let's talk about you. Tell us just a little bit about your practice, where where you, how big your practice is, and who your target sure. client is and your specialty, all that stuff. Sure. So um, I own a company called Ledger Gurus. We've been in business about four and a half years. Um, we're about 1.4 million a year in revenue right now. Um, we have um, right around uh, 40 employees. Most of our employees are part-time. That's kind of something that makes us unique is that we were primarily founded on the vision of being able to meaningful work opportunities to people who were also like balancing um, their lives with family in a really meaningful way. And so my, my background in history was that I had been a single mom when I went through accounting school and like I went through a really great program. It's a program here in Utah called um, Brigham Young University is the name of the school I went to. And so they push really hard big four when you're coming out of school. And it was like big four, big four, big four. But the time that I graduated, I was still a single mom. And so I was like, I just can't, like, I just can't. And so after working for a local accounting firm for a few years, I took a gig as a, as a CFO and that um, helped me really see like it was an outsourced CFO thing and it was just such a good fit for my life. It was about 10 hours a week and it paid really well and I was able to have like a really meaningful impact with, with that many hours to a business that was, they were doing about three to five million a year and it was just so rewarding. It made me realize like, hey, there's a real need in the space for like outsourced accounting for small businesses, like bringing good accounting to smaller businesses. And so right around that time, I went to an accounting conference and everyone was talking about like how we're moving to the cloud. And, and that was right around the time that Intuit was making a big push on QuickBooks online and moving over from QuickBooks desktop. And I just like caught the vision at that conference. And I just thought, this is what I've been looking for. I've been looking for this way to really be able to balance what I want to do professionally with what I wanted to do personally and bring that opportunity to other people. So quite honestly, like I, I wasn't really like an entrepreneur before that. I kind of wanted to own a business. Like I wanted a shot in the head and it was not something that I like aspire to, but it was something that after I caught the vision of it, it just like, wouldn't leave me alone. Like I didn't sleep for months. I couldn't talk about anything else. I didn't really want to do it, but I also like, couldn't leave it alone. <laughs> and so finally out of like desperation, I was like, fine. And I started, started, hired my first employee, got my first client. Actually, they both kind of showed up simultaneously. Like I kind of like took it as a message from heaven because I had a friend of mine from college reach out to me and say, Hey, I'm looking, moving back to Utah, looking for a job. Do you know about anything right around the same time? Someone else reached out to me and said, Hey, we're looking for someone to run our accounting. Do you know anybody? And I was like, Whoop, there you go. And now business, you know? And so four and a half years later, we're 40 people deep and um, growing rapidly all the time. And we focus on e-commerce accounting. Uh, we have employees across six states, clients from one end of the country to the other. And I'm a big believer in the whole, like if there was a believer in the cloud accounting, it's me. Like I'm hook, line, and sinker in. 
That's great. That's great, Brittany. That's a great story. Yeah. And I've gotten to know you a little bit over the past, over the past six months and um, it's been great to get to know you and you're definitely a, a pioneer in the, in, in the industry in regards to one of the few firms growing rapidly um, and leveraging a remote team and the values you and your husband have really resonate with me and many other firm owners. So it's, it's really great to have Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, one thing I should mention, so I give him credit is that my husband is our COO and before he got involved, I was enthusiastically building a house of cards and after <laughs> involved, it became something that had structure and legs. So kudos to him, truly. That's awesome. It, was more, it became more like a Jenga, Jenga tower instead of right. a house oh, of cards. Totally. <laughs> right, exactly. That's awesome. Uh, David, David, how would you introduce yourself a little bit? Introduce myself. So I'm David Leary. So um, thankful to be here Friday night. Uh, I didn't know if we were supposed to prepare drinks or bring drinks or share what we're drinking. So I made sure I saved one, uh, one uh, local uh, Dragoon Brewery, Santa Cruz, Golden Alps to drink for tonight. So, but I had to re-put in the proper cup though. It's time, football season's officially started as of last two nights ago. But uh, my background, so I was at Intuit almost 22 years. Uh, I was started out in DOS. So I did tech support for QuickBooks DOS uh, 2.0. So I did tech support for DOS, I did tech support for Windows. So I went from transition from DOS to Windows, three and a half inch diskettes to CD-ROMs, to patches over the internet, right, to um, cloud eventually, right? Um, during that time, I did all kinds of stints, QuickBooks related, quality assurance, product development. I built an app, a lot of people that maybe back in the QuickBooks payroll days on QuickBooks desktop, view my paycheck. That was my baby from like customer number one all the way to, they eventually just rolled it into payroll for everybody. Um, and then, uh, since then I've left, uh, kind of, I'm now a small business owner myself, which is interesting because I use apps. I use QuickBooks differently now. It's, it's not practice or in theory. So that's exciting. Um, working with auto entry very deeply, helping everybody, uh, automate their data entry. So like for me personally, I don't type anything in QuickBooks unless it's a sale, right? Uh, I'm also doing the cloud accounting podcast with Blake Oliver. I think Blake was on a couple of weeks ago. I'm also doing that. And then, uh, just taking the journey figure out what's next. Awesome. Hey, David, um, since you mentioned QuickBooks DOS 2.0 specifically, did you see the video posted in YouTube like a month ago where I compared QuickBooks DOS to QuickBooks Online? No, I didn't see that. Okay, okay so look it up. All right. <laughs> look it up. I'm, I'm sure it'll bring some memories. Uh, David, let me ask you a question. Uh, so you're the co-host of the Cloud Accounting Podcast, and we're going to plug yep. it real quick. Uh, just because I, I think it's a fantastic source of, of, of news and information to the, let's call it the modern accountant. Even if you're not working with QuickBooks Online 100%, I think the modern accountant just wants to know what's going on in the world. What's, what are the competitors of Intuit doing? I mean, Intuit is such a huge monster. You know that you come from that world. In, in this e ecosystem, it's always exciting to see, uh, you know, folks kind of challenge the big, you know, poke the bear, right? And, and, and I think it's also all fun watching to it, make decisions on, on how they're going to secure the market share or expand it or whichever strategy they have. So you guys spend a lot of time, I think a disproportionate amount of time in your podcast talking about the things that are going on uh, in Intuit and the actions that they take, although and, it's not. And I think that it, it's not, it's nothing on purpose. It's just, I think Intuit is just in the news every single week. Like it's just, there's. Uh, actually, there, I think there was an episode we did not talk about Intuit once, but ultimately Intuit is just, they're, they're in the news and then and they're gigantic on the accounting side, but then also on the tax side, right? And so, and, and they're making moves that are the biggest, boldest moves we've seen in this industry in 10 years. So how can we have a news roundup show and not talk about Intuit? Right, no, sure. I, yeah, I wasn't yeah. criticizing it for sure. I just yeah, yeah, no. yeah. mentioned that it's really cool. You, you have an ex-Intuit employee that left in good terms. You have a lot of friends there. I know you have yeah, yeah. Tons, yes, tons of right. friends there. And you went to work with a, a, a big app, app partner and you're you're testing out what, what does it look like and feel like to work in the app world instead of the, if they're the QuickBooks yeah, world. Right, on, with auto entry. So you started this podcast with Blake and you mentioned at some point, I don't know if Blake mentioned it here or you guys mentioned it in your own, you didn't start as a news podcast it was more like like us like interview interesting people interesting folks uh tell me the evolution of that yeah so blake actually started it a little like this he was doing i think um he was using zoom 
or uh, go to webinar actually, sorry, go to webinar on um, CPA Academy. And he was doing this kind of weekly lunchtime thing where he talked a couple, a little bit about the news, but it was mostly interview and you have a guest on and it was short, they're like 15 minutes. But years before that, I met Blake at, a, uh, at an event and I was like, oh, we should do a podcast together, you know, drinking beers and nothing happened for like two years, three years. But then he had me as a guest on his about eight or nine And to be fair, in. you asked like a hundred other people to do podcasts. <laughs> possibly, that same night, right? Yeah. 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 So that, that's just the one. It's been an itch. It's been an itch. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, so Blake invited, so I was a guest on Blake's and as soon as I got off the episode, I texted him and I said, let's just do this every week. And so we just were doing it every week. And so we were interviewing people, but just like logistics with this, like trying to get people to show up and who you book and quality, microphone quality. It's hard to actually do podcasts, interview podcasts. It mm. really, really is. And then on top of that, I think if you look at the industry, there's 60 interview podcasts for the accounting industry. There are right. there's a lot of them out there. Everybody's doing that. And nobody's doing just a good news roundup. And so what happened when we switched the format to that, it started getting a lot of traction because we actually started providing value, mm. right? If you think about it, if you're a bookkeeper, you're an accountant, you're, and I know a lot of app developers listen to the show as well. You know, when we try in 25 minutes to 45 minutes, give you all the important news that week. And we're plowing through a lot of bad news. <laughs> and so, so you don't have to look at paid for posts or uh, posts that are just, um, you get halfway through it and you realize these guys are just selling me something. This mm. is the news. And so we plow through a lot of that stuff. And then we also bring in adjacent things, right? Like we'll find a story about automation or robots or working remotely that aren't really accounting news, but they're kind of related to what's happening in our industry. And really? then, you know, I like to commend you, uh, Michael, just keep real quick. Go ahead. I like, I like to commend you on basically making us aware that there are mm. new around it because for, for, be, be, before the podcast, you know, I, I knew things happened but I didn't treat it like news. So now when you got this weekly podcast, you feel like the industry is moving in a direction and you actually, right. I, I think even some folks even feel even more anxiety listen to the podcast <laughs> because they see that there are more things going on. You know, like for example, I didn't know Wave was bought by HNR Block. You know, I listened to it first with you guys and there's a thing, that's, those are big deals, mm -hmm. you know? Like, yeah. you know, yeah. so, so it's a, it, I love your opinion and stuff like that. So enough of plugging that. And Mike, Michael, I'll pass it on to you. Yeah. Great job with your podcast, David. Everybody listen. Yeah. Great job. It's a really good podcast. Yeah. No, we're all, fan, we're all fans of it. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm learning, you know, I'm learning about a new AI companies that have raised money in different countries that you guys end up picking up. And I'm like, where did you guys find this? But you just guys are on the totally. inside. Like you said, you're sifting through the noise and getting us to the real game changers in the industry which is really great and Brittany, i know you have a really a great podcast maybe something to do with desktop or uh <laughs> <laughs> so uh, actually this is a story we should tell because it's a great way to just like put it out in the open because this is a so my husband like i said is the old he's kind of a he's he's a tech geek and he's he's just a clever guy and he's a big fan of um podcast. And as we were going into the accounting salon, um, he came up with this great idea about four months before the accounting salon. And he said, I mean, David, I'm assuming you're okay to share the story, right? You're okay yeah, if yeah, I just fine. like, okay. So uh, about four months before the accounting podcast, he said, you know what, we should, we should spoof uh, David and Blake. And he's like, we should launch a desktop accounting podcast and really serious thing and like get them engaged in like social media should like you know start this conversation around it and then at the accounting salon we should like debut the fact that it was just like this this gag this joke i was like yeah yeah that's a great idea but that's like complex right like go ahead with all the free time you have like whatever and he, he kind of talking about it, but then pretty soon all of a sudden he had like launched the death accounting podcast and he had twitter account and he had like actually people and David and Blake were talking about the podcast on their thing and kind of poking fun at it. Like, are they serious? Are they not serious? Like we, he was dying. My husband it was, was a like, master, like at a level, you guys like created a fake podcast that was so real and such a, it was a, when a parody is done so well, you don't know if it's a parody. That's the level. Right. Right. So we had, we had this really great time one night, like taping it. And we, we went through all the news, like, 
Our names were Lori, uh, Lori Davis and Ollie Blaine. So it was like total plays on their name. <laughs> and we went through and did like the same thing where we did news, but it was all like desktop accounting stuff, except there was like no news, right? There was like no news on desktop accounting, anything. So we had to like comb through things in a serious way. We talked a little bit about like Quicken and Excel and like literally there was like <laughs> And so it was so fun because in the days leading up to um, the accounting salon, like Amanda, a friend of ours and hosts the accounting salon with David Leary, like was hanging out with David and he was like, did you guys hear this? Like, I still can't tell. So are they joking? Are they serious? And she was like texting and she'd be like, I am dying over here. Cause I had told her that we were going to be like the accounting salon. This was a joke. And she was like, I am dying over here listening to him talk about this, knowing like by then she was like on the inside track about it. And so um, at the accounting salon, we basically prepared this video that showed us like, hey guys, like this is our most sincere version of fangirling basically. <laughs> and like was basically a shout out to you guys with this podcast that we like truly, truly like. In fact, I should give you that video, the the full video now that's like shows that it was a parody on this whole thing. Now that we're finally, this is actually the first time we've openly talked about the fact that that podcast was created by us and that it was in fact a a fangirling moment to the death to the cloud podcast, which we're truly fans of. So, <laughs> and they fell it was, for it, man. They just fell for it. I Sorry, fell for it really bad. Yes. That's hilarious. Uh, and that was the only one because somebody else on the internet thought, actually thought oh, yeah. it was the dumbest thing in the world. And that person went and created a Twitter account called the Paper Accounting Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't me. Like, somebody oh, thought gosh. I created all three and I was like, no, 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 no. This is just uh, other people. That's awesome. Yeah, That's and awesome. At, one point, at one point, David was like, you know, you guys probably into something if you wanted to but we were like yeah but we'd actually have to be passionate about desktop accounting which we're not so therefore we would literally have like nothing in our first episode first and only episode we ended up by saying well we'd like to do another one next week but we literally can't find any news at all so it'll be months <laughs> before we have another podcast that was good hey, hey Brittany, real quick your audio uh, seems to be cutting in and out a lot so just you might want to um take a look at that while you're, oh, while you're there thank you. so um yeah, Brittany, yes. we'll, uh, we'll chat with david a little yeah. bit and we'll, we'll kind of change topics to uh, niche and specialization because David spent a lot of time talking about that. So, Brittany, if you, go out in the dark, if you go out to the dark, restart your computer, your router, or whatever, just log back in. We'll let okay, you know. I'll do that. See you guys awesome. in a second. You really right. told her to start restart that, her computer? That was a, yeah, <laughs> restart her router? I, I, I come from a tech support background. I'm like, Brittany, restart your computer, restart your router. <laughs> I'll be back. See you guys in a sec. <laughs> Go to Best Buy. Yeah. So anyway, so, so Dave is actually making fun of me putting the message in the Zoom chat, telling her, you know, hey, restart your computer. Log off. <laughs> I didn't realize how funny it was. What you didn't realize, David, like her, like the, the way she mocked your podcast, I'm also mocking. No, I'm just kidding. That was me really telling <laughs> the restart. Anyway, David, so that's a, that's a great story. I actually had no idea there was a, Oh, uh, uh, Cindy saying, clear your cookies. I forgot that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> clear your cookies and, and clear your browser cash. history. <laughs> <laughs> so, so David, um, you spent probably the last two years of your, of, of your work at Intuit. Every time I saw you do a live presentation, whether you were uh, talking to accountants at QB Connect or to developers at Scaling New Heights or whatever I saw you, even webinars, you were trying to preach uh, uh, niche and specialization, but your perspective was because you were dealing with app developers. I believe the name of your job was uh, evangelist, app evangelist, or something like that. Yeah, so I, and I kind of evolved, but it was a small business ecosystem evangelist. So I, yes. you know, I was evangelizing about apps, but then also to the accountants and the small business owners, right? The, the whole thing. So your job is to create excitement around developers creating solutions to specific industries that QuickBooks can serve on its own. And there's tons of money, but even though the, even though the market is tiny, the potential profit opportunities is huge. And, and you and I talked all the time and you were saying, Hector, you know, what about uh, yacht managers? And I said, what do you mean by, by that? Well, you know, there's like one app out there that's for that niche for, 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 for yacht yard ships. And they have to manage different aspects of a yacht. And I'm like, that market is so small. And he goes, and you, you were telling me, but that's the beauty of it. 
it's, it's such a small market that you have no competition. You can charge five grand a month for an app. And I was like, five grand a month for an app? And you say, yeah, people are paying for it. These are our QuickBooks customers calling us, wanting to ditch the $5,000 micro niche app, right? The micro special. It's still desktop or some app they were using that has not yeah. evolved, right? Yep. Right, right. So, so I thought I thought your perspective in this it's is awesome. So, uh, can, can you can you give us a say a five minute Reader's Digest version of why you think niching and specialization enables every opportunity in your practice? Yeah, um, I, just, I, mean, I, I mean, I even you could definitely on Twitter River search for a hashtag niche enables everything. So I kind of like that's probably these, and I have a one of the slides is in there that really summarizes it. But so. I kind of saw it happening from two directions, right? I, I think there's great examples like Chris Farman, right? Who uh, is a small batch. Um, brewery, I mean, yeah. Uh, so he does breweries, right? And so, so I, and I knew about Chris for like nine years. And, and I've, so I've always been on this kick a lot longer than the last two. Um, but now I still saw it coming in from the app side, right? All these niche apps, because ultimately you could build an app that, could become a feature of QuickBooks or a zero, right? Or a good, you know, and that's kind of dangerous as an app developer, but if you build an app for breweries, QuickBooks is never gonna build that, right? They're never gonna build in all keg tracking, for example, right? They're never gonna build things to that level. So, so I saw it kind of coming from both sides, but then I think about two and a half years ago, I really finally put it all together. And so, so it was like, it, great, it's all one slide, but it took three and a half years to build. Um, if you really think about all the accounting conferences we've, we've been going to for the last half a decade, right? Six, seven, eight, ten 10 years. Oh, you need to do social media. Oh, you need to market your practice. Oh, you need to scale your processes. Oh, you need to ch charge, do flat fixed fee billing. You need to do value billing. You need to become an expert and do advising. I really started taking all those things and everybody in our industry was struggling with all of those to some extent. And I always figured out, I started noticing the people that aren't are the people that were niche. And I really was able to kind of map a path, right? Like if you can go, you go cloud. Once you go cloud, now you can focus on a niche. Once you focus on a niche, now you can start getting some expertise. Now you can start fixed rate pricing because now if you know how much it is to take on a bicycle shop, you don't have, you can do fixed rate pricing. But if you take on a bicycle shop and your next client's a restaurant, it's going to be harder to do fixed right. rate pricing, right? And then from there, now you can start doing marketing just to bicycle shops. You can go to bicycle races only, right? It, you can actually do marketing because, and now you can do social media because nobody cares about a 1099 Instagram post, <laughs> right? But you could do some awesome posts strictly to bicycle shop owners, right? Because you'll know something about bicycle shops that nobody else does. But then as you move really up that ladder, that's where you start to become truly an expert because if you get 20, 30, 40 bicycle shops, you probably know more about running a bicycle shop than anybody else in the country, mm. right? And now what can you do with that power? And, and that's where this, like you can really start going much, much more bigger. And then on top of that, you start recognizing um, opportunities that nobody else would ever notice, right? And I kind of feel like it can uh, take you, like, let's say you wanted to go to the Academy Awards, right? What if you, and you're in LA, you're a bookkeeper, you only started doing special effects companies, right? And so you would just do the books for special effects companies. Eventually, one of those companies is going to win an award somewhere, and then you're going to be, have an inside track to, for tickets to the Academy Awards, right? No other bookkeepers are doing that. So I think it's just, uh, it just really truly does enable everything and just moves you up that ladder of all these things you're supposed to be doing at these conferences that are very, very hard to execute on unless you go niche. Um, that's kind of, that's the gist of my theory. And David, and what do you say to the standard, because you, you must get the standard pushback, which is boredom. That's one of the things that people say, <laughs> well, you know, if I only do one industry, I'll get bored. You know, I became an accountant to solve problems and I like challenges, blah, blah, blah. So that's, that's one of the major pushbacks that people give. And I, mm -hmm. I give that I, I quasi give that feedback myself <laughs> as an educator because I don't want to only do videos about one specific industry because uh, obviously my thing is to do videos about all sorts of things that QuickBooks uh, can do. But I do serve a, I do target a, a specific type of client when I'm after in my, in my marketing. So that's one, you know, what, you know, what about boredom and, and lack of challenge? Mm -hmm. And then the second, uh, uh, David, 
is you know the narrowing down of the of of the customer base you know like uh, people tend to see think that the biggest opportunities is where the most potential clients are but i think one thing one of the things that people fail to see is that to be successful you really only need 30 40 clients that pay you you know 35 40,000 dollars a year right okay. so that's a reality correct yeah cuz i think um so your first point about as far as getting bored, yes, that's possible, right? But there's also a lot of challenge in this, right? You're, right. I mean, if you, you're going to be going to those industry conferences, there's tons of challenges within that industry. Like, if you're getting bored, you're probably finding an excuse to be bored. Like, like any niche is going to have some interesting mm-hmm. problems for you to solve. Um, but the, the, real, the real answer is, do you want to make money? Right? Or do you want to have a struggling bookkeeping practice that's just flailing around, Right. And that's the reason to, to, to go into a niche. And, and everybody likes the, the, the sexy ones, right? Like, oh, breweries or wineries. Um, not, not everybody's doing cannabis, right? That's the hot one right now. Um, e-commerce is really hard. Obviously, people for years have done construction as a niche. But there's tons of other ones that are not sexy at all. I mean, you can get the septic tank guys, pump guys, <laughs> right? There's money. There's yeah. a lot of money in that. And you, you, are you allowed to cuss on this? Are, do you have parental warnings? Like, like, You're fine. You can say whatever yeah, you want. You could be shittycpa.com and like, <laughs> like that, you could own that. And just like, imagine like how, how that would, it would be great. Right. So, but I think Chris Farman is a great example of this. His contact us form right on his webpage makes you put your brewery name first, then you fill out everything else. So he only lets breweries fill out his contact us form. He gets 40 breweries a month contacting him because he's the best. Right? He basically takes one client on a month and gets the price he wants. So it, 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 you're, you're not going to run out of work. Um, even the theory of what if that industry dies? I think I've heard that argument made to me. My argument is if you're in the niche, you're probably going to know the industry's dying before anybody else in the industry. So you'll have the first chance mm-hmm. to get out because you're looking at the numbers. Right. Right? You're, you're going to know that, okay, this um, DVD rental business or VHS rental business is not a good business to get into. And you probably would have gotten out of Blockbuster before anybody else did. So, so Brittany, you, you talked about how David, this David was kind of an inspiration to you. Welcome back, by the way, <laughs> inspiration yeah. to you um, in regards to shipping and e-commerce. I'd love, love to hear how that was. And then I have some thoughts, some follow-on thoughts and questions or kind of um, comments about this, this idea about niching, um, as I've talked to actually several firm owners who have niched and some of the, still some of the challenges I see from those firm owners that are niching. Um, but yeah, Brittany, I'd love to hear kind of your inspiration and how you've done that with your firm. So first of all, does my connection seem better now? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. I was like, I ran and got my tea diet downstairs. I was like, help me. And he said, it's Comcast on a Friday night, Brittany. Like, I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Hopefully it's, hopefully it's better, but yeah, I was, I was definitely on this journey And because we had grown so rapidly, we were feeling very poignantly a lot of the pain points that that you get through not niching. And in fact, probably the biggest thing that I found to be such a problem with not niching was, you know, you can, we were, we were hiring people and teaching people how to be an effective controller, how to be effective bookkeepers is not the hardest thing in the world, but teaching them how to tackle any new industry that we might throw at them as business owners is really, really challenging. It takes a special type of person to be able to pivot that aggressively and that quickly. And it was incredibly, incredibly challenging. I felt like we were like building a business entirely on the heroics of people that we were in the process of burning out. And the biggest reason for that burnout was honestly throwing stuff at them that they had to figure out and learn so rapidly all the time. It was exhausting for them. And the whole reason that was happening is because because we weren't niched one week, they were learning certified payroll. And the next week they were learning inventory processes. And the next week they were learning, you know, restaurant manager, restaurant management software. Like it was so overwhelming because we weren't niched that when I was, this was actually about two years ago, I was at a QuickBooks connect conference and I heard, I went to a session, David Leary was teaching on, I can't remember if it was on niching or if it was actually apps. I think it might've been on apps. I think I had a, one of those marketing type conference names. I think it was at Scaling New Heights, but I had a name. Of, it was like 50 niche apps in 50 minutes. 
Yeah, I had one of those like scammy kind of, uh, but it was really a secret way for me to Hold get on, in. Hold on, my half naked teenage son just walked in. I'm on a Facebook Live with hundreds of people watching right now. You want to like take yourself out of here? There you go. <laughs> yeah, there's thousands of people watching and listening. That's right. Millions now. That's right. That's funny. Right. So it was one of those sessions, and as he brought up that that um, that slide that he was talking about that took him years to develop, like I was, every single thing on that was just like I was feeling the pain points of it so so aggressively that I, I was a believer and I had gone to that conference with this in my mind that I wanted to find a niche. And I had heard various people say things, one of them being that you have to pick something that like the whole rest of the world isn't in. Like I hear all the time, people be like, I decided to niche and I've decided to pick dental offices and law firms. And I'm like, yeah, you and everybody else has picked those niches. And I heard somebody say, you have to pick that has some kind of barrier to entry or else you haven't really picked a niche that you can actually specialize in. If, if it is the niche that literally anybody could tackle because it doesn't have any complexities that actually justify niching in it, then it's really not worth niching in. So, and as I was in this conference and I was in this session, I, I, we were, there was a couple that we were toying around with. One of them was e-commerce. And at that conference, David basically said like, Hey, I don't know why nobody's niching in e-commerce. Like, it's got such huge opportunity, but nobody's really in that space. I mean, I get that it's complicated, but really, come on, where are, where are the, the e-commerce niche people here? And I was like practically in my seat, like in the back, like jumping up and down, like a little kid, like me, me, pick me. I want to do it. Me, me, you know, because I was already, we already had a couple of e-commerce clients at that time. And I already could see that they were going to require specialization for us to be able to do it right because their accounting is so like just at its heart different with the primary difference being like with regular accounting, most of the transactions are flowing through the bank accounts and the credit cards. But in e-commerce companies, the transactions, the activities are actually flowing through the channels and all you're seeing hit the bank accounts and credit cards are just summary deposits from those channels. So unless people are like willing to get in and get dirty with the channels themselves, learn the backend reporting on Shopify, WooCommerce, Amazon, Etsy, eBay, Wayfair, like in every other channel you can possibly see, they're never really going to be doing it right. And if you have a portfolio of clients and you have a hundred clients and only two of them are e-commerce or even 15 of them are e-commerce, you're never going to put in the time and effort required to nail the things that are required for e-commerce. And specifically, I'd say if you're going to be e-commerce specialized, you need to be really good at the sales channels, really good with inventory and cost of goods sold, and really prepared to dig in on sales tax. And those really? are, yeah, go ahead. No, no, you finish. I was going to ask you a follow-up question to that. Oh, well, like, and those, all three of those are complex problems to solve. It's not like, well, you really need a bill pay solution or you really need to like, you know, figure out how to streamline invoicing. It's like those, each one of those are, are monumental mountains to climb to get good at. And so I knew if we were going to go e-commerce, we were going to have to niche. And if anybody was going to be good at e-commerce, they would have to be fairly specialized in it. And I was like, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. And the interesting thing about that is, has been the trajectory that we've been on. So like the first little while that we were like, okay, we're e-commerce niched. Like all we knew was what we didn't know. All we knew was how complex it was going to be, but we didn't have solutions for any of it. And so initially our early clients were like, Hey, like friends that were willing to let us like dig in and learn their stuff. And we hired a few key consultants and we just spent a lot. We spent about a year really investing in learning the space before we could really say we have solutions for those three things, e-commerce channels, inventory cost goods sold and sales tax. And it took a long time, but like, this is what it did for us as a business. So like four years ago in the month of July, we, our entire billings were like, $4,000, $4,200. Like we were a new company and our entire billings for the entire month were $4,200. Last, this last July, we landed several new clients of which a couple of them had more in billings individually than our entire billings had been four years ago. So like what it's done for our ability to charge a premium mm-hmm. has been like legit, you know, like I'd say David's like a prophet in, in regards <laughs> to what he how he outlined that stair step in like 
You don't have to learn as many apps. You don't have to learn as many processes. You can start to really dial in on how much time things really take, what the processes really are, what this will really look like, which then allows you to, you know, fix fee price, which then allows you to do this, which then allows you to value bill. Like all of it has been exactly what we needed to do as a firm, but it was, it was not easy. It, I mean, last year we fired 40% of our revenue and, you know, when you're a million dollar business, that's, what is that? $400,000 worth of new business, $400,000 worth of business last year hmm. we had to fire because they were not fits for our firm in the direction that we had moved. And we had to figure out how to do that in a way that didn't put us out of business. We had several clients that we, that we build 12 to 15,000 a month on that we ended up having to just out of our client base because they were really holding us back from the direction we were trying to go. And that was frightening, truly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you talk about that hard work, Brittany. And that's the thing about, I think uh, the thing about niching and this, I, I, I heard this on actually the two Bobs. Um, if you guys listen to this podcast called the two Bobs um, that Hector actually told me about, um, there's a few lessons you have to learn. Like niching is an awesome strategy, but also you have to be prepared to what right. you have to do with it. Now, if you're starting fresh, if you're starting like zero new, it's almost like, that's the ideal time to start niching because yeah. you have no right. risk going on. Um, but you gotta be, you gotta be, you gotta, um, you gotta be uh, aware that uh, if you're going to do a shift like that, there's going to be a, a huge jump that happens of revenue loss of some employees who aren't willing to right. move, move forward with you. Um, and also there's some underlying assumptions about niching or this concept about niching that David, the prophet has, shared uh and, and well the, the the underlying assumption is that you have actually a sound business model that runs right, right. and so unfortunately um there are exceptions because like you you've done a great job i think patty sharf at catchy clouds has done a great job i, I unfortunately most of the firm owners that ha i have met and talked to that have niched they've told me you know they, they begin telling me the great story and then they kind of go actually we're no more profitable and we've no, not changed much from the other business we had. We've niched now and we actually are only doing the same challenges. And the, the common challenges that most of these firms are dealing with are their management style still is crappy. Their right. culture is still terrible. They can't find talent. They can't right. keep talent. Um, they can't really define the value they're giving to the niche. Um, and the two, according to the two Bobs, they, they actually argue in order to truly do niching well, you have to spend 18 months in that niche. Oh, I Focus 18 agree. months, you know. 18 and months? 18 months. That's the two that, that's the, yeah. that, 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 yeah. that's the That's the Instagram where we live in. The reality yeah. is it's probably eight years. It took – Chris Farman was busting his rear for nine years. Yeah. Like, yeah. like 18 months? Yeah. Like if somebody's <laughs> bitching because it took 18 months to get good at a niche? Come right. on. I completely like, agree. I completely agree, yeah. David. Like that's what I'm saying is people, unfortunately, people that come into this industry and any anything that's digital or online, they they they're thinking this get rich quick, I become an expert in three months or six months. Oh 18 geez, months no. is a short time frame still in the world of yeah. business. And they're not willing to wait that long. And they're going, yeah. I've done this niche for a year. It's too I, I'm not getting the customers I want. It's not profitable enough. Yeah. I gotta move on. You're going. You're not even an expert. Like you're not an expert. Yeah. You haven't put ten thousand hours into that field. And you're exactly right, David. Like that comment. So I think there's the reality check of, hey, if you're going to niche, you still have to have a sound business model. You still have to have clear cultural values that people are attracted to go work for you. You still have to have a great management style. You still can't. You know, can't be a jerk just because you're niching now, right? right. <laughs> you, you actually have to def like communicate your value. Um, so those, those are the, those are, I think some of the things I think about as I meet the firm owners, um, and, and that I still have to be clear in whether you're doing a niche business or not, you know, whether you're doing that focus or not. So, but yeah, I think, you know, Brittany, you've, you've done it well, Captain Clown has done it well. And a few, you know, a few others that David talked about as well. So, well, and I'll tell you what, one of the biggest monsters was of niching that I did not realize. And, and it's something that I wish they would talk about at conferences, which is if you're not niching, it's not that hard to find new clients because everybody is a potential new client. But when you decide to niche, if you have not figured out how to market to that niche, you're toast. Because what happened is we started niching, which means we're now only taking on this certain type of client and we did not have marketing strategies that targeted them. And we could not figure out how to even bring in new clients fast enough to replace like the natural attrition that was happening. 
And so we found ourselves really up a creek because we did not know how to, we did not know how to replace the volume of the opportunity that we had had when we were non-niched. That was my fault too. Yeah. (laughs) It was so hard. Like it, I mean, so part of it, part of niching is really niching your marketing, figuring out how to be effective on that as well, because you can throw a wide net and you can bring in all kinds of business and that will feed you really well. But as soon as you say no to all of this, you sure as heck have to figure out how to bring in a lot more of this. You know, I, I drank 10,000 beers, Michael. Can, do I, does that make me a beer, a, a uh, craft brewery expert or not? Well, yet? just make you an alcoholic detector. That's all. Uh, that's what it was. Um, Brittany, I wanted to unpack something you said earlier and, and you said so many, like some, there's so many awesome things in what you said. I wanted to unpack some. And what I want to do is I want to bring out to the open um, just some like sort of the day-to-day, the reality of the value that a niche consultant, let's just call it that, a niche expert brings to their clients. So most, most accounting professionals and myself included sometimes, when we think about the solution that we give, we stay around tax planning, sales tax compliance, which by the way, in e-commerce is humongous. Humongous. Yeah, so we'll, we'll put sales tax compliance to the side for a second. So let's not even talk about sales tax because that's an obligation more than something that inspires your clients to do something different. But you were talking about channels and channel management and inventory, my baby. Um, some of the value that you bring to these clients has nothing to do with measuring net income, measuring assets, depreciating or reconciling bank accounts. And, and that's, that's the interesting part of niching. And you, it's difficult to talk about it. You have to live it. And it's happened to be with manufacturing, you know, where, where when I, I work with manufacturers and work with manufacturers and all of a sudden I don't think of debits and credits. I think of employees not washing their hands before they touch their food. I think about how far two, two machines are from each other and the travel time between the two machines. I think about why they pack things in boxes and not in bags, or why is the measuring uh, weight all the way in the corner over there? Why they have such a crappy measuring machine that, that the owner thinks is right 80% of the time. So you, you think about like little tiny pieces of things of the operations, and you only really learn that by, by doing and working with this company. So some of the value that you bring in niche, it's way beyond the accounting. The accounting is just there. And, and and we haven't talked about QuickBooks Live yet, and automation, and AI, and let's just let's just let's 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 let's, let's skip a couple of years. Yeah, bookkeeping is going to go away, and QuickBooks is going to do everything automatically. So now, what what does the niche consultant do? Mm-hmm. The niche consultant attaches itself to the stuff that is really complicated, like where's my inventory? How much should I have in November? You know, you know, is is this type of product pose a threat to my to my business model? You know, is is this uh, shoe size, something I should even carry because it doesn't even move that much. Is my marketing strategy aligned with the new products I'm producing and manufacturing? Once you get into niche, your mind goes, it, it's like, uh, like, uh, they, like Blair, uh, like Blair N says in, in two bobs, it's like you open the door is Narnia. It's like a whole nother world that you had no idea that it even existed. And, and it doesn't take skill. It just takes, you just have to be there. You just have to observe it be there, listen to it. Yeah, debits and credits on, on the side. But when you're there looking at how people behave and how the employees behave and, and, and the decisions these companies make, you start getting real insight about these type of companies. And all of a sudden, the value you bring is not yeah. the commodity of the bookkeeping that you do anyway, right? right? Amen, yeah. amen, amen. Like, I didn't even know the acronyms of the space. People would throw out terms like FBA and 3PL and I'd be like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And so like part of learning the niche was learning the, learning the jargon, being able to like, you know, and the questions that we're fielding now were not questions like, well, who do you recommend as a tax account? And they're questions like, well, who do you guys like as a 3PL or should I be using FBA or not? Or like, what channels do you like? Or can you point me to a Shopify consultant? It's like, it's just a totally and completely different world that when you niche, you actually have the time to invest in that. Whereas if you're not niching, you can only really touch a little here and touch a little there. You never become truly absorbed into the space, which means you can't ever truly abs- start to absorb the space. 
and all the words and all the terms and the things that they're caring about and the things that they're worrying about and, and all the things that are running their business and running them and keeping them up at night. Like you start to really understand that world because you, and the other beautiful thing about niching, I have to say, is that instead of having a manager over here who has a construction client and a dental practice and a law firm and maybe an e-commerce client and nothing they're doing is, is building upon anything they're doing at all. Now that same manager has eight e-commerce clients and everything they learn on this client, they can apply to this one and this one and this one and this one. And so now the collective knowledge of how the entire firm and the organization are growing is exponentially expedited because everything we learn is directly applicable to every other client we have. And Brittany, just shed some light into, you don't have to get deep into the finances, but your let's say your average top client. So think about your top 20 clients. What is the average ticket price that they pay per month? Um, just to get, give us some idea of okay, how, how, what does this look like versus something else look like? So it used to be that we would take on clients that were doing anywhere from 250 to $500 a month. And we were ecstatic if we got a client that was doing 1200 a month. And we had the occasional big whoppers that were like, 10,000 a month that we're keeping us alive. But now we don't even take on e-commerce clients that are doing less than 1,200. Our average is more like 2,400. And on top end, we have nine to 10,000 a month in, in billings with e-commerce businesses. So our average billings went from 600 a month to 2,300 a month is our average billing size now. And, and to be clear, these are, these are not, these might be big numbers to some people, but this might be 0.001 of the revenues right. of some of these companies, correct? So it's really right. just a change that they're paying you. Well, and that was the other thing is the way we were able to level up the type of clients we were targeting. So we were happy if we had kind of new clients that were getting going. Now we can handle things. We Our largest client is doing 30 million a year in revenue and we're able to knock it out of the park with them because the staff that they would hire in-house does not know as much about e-commerce accounting as we do. So we are now able, it used to be that when we would talk to clients, we would, they would have to like educate us on their industry and we'd have to, they'd have to tell us about what they were doing. And like first time I learned about certified payroll, didn't even know what that was. Now, when we do discovery calls with clients, we're educating them on their businesses. We're talking to them about their workflow. We're telling them how their accounting should work. We're educating their staff on best practices, even if they've been in that industry longer than we have. They haven't dealt with 80 companies in that same space. They haven't seen best practices, refined, 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 refined over time. And when they hear you talking about those things that matter to them, they're just yeah. begging to work with you, right? Right. They're, they're, you're no longer comparable. You're no longer a commodity. You know, you can have so-and-so CPA down the street who's cheaper or whatever, or the un your uncle recommended it, but yeah. that person doesn't talk the jargon. It doesn't sound like they've been in the Amazon API dealing with the items, synchronizing, you know, with... Right. You know, ship station. I don't know. I, I don't know. E-commerce. My, 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 my bet is the average bookkeeper accountant does not know there's like eight different Amazon stores and they're right. all and, and for each country and there's different things going on in all of them. Right. The average accountant yeah. has no idea. Right. right. In fact, the first time I heard what Shopify was three years ago, I was like, <laughs> Shopify. Like, is that like a, I had no idea what Shopify was. And as I sat there in front of the client and tried not to look like an idiot, I literally didn't even know what Shopify was. <laughs> That's great. Look where you are now, Brittany, just like that focus at that time. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. let me tell you what <laughs> yeah. Now you're going to, you're, you're going to eventually know what Squarespace is and Weebly is and stuff like that. <laughs> That's right. Someday, someday. David, David, so, so this is a great segue. Um, you know, we are talking about this niching and kind of the counter to, um, to things, some of the innovation that's happening, you know, in regards to QuickBooks Live, you've talked a lot about with Blake and on the podcast, and obviously you were um, probably maybe somewhat intimate with it, or you're, you're an ex-intuit person. So um, the, you know, the the most recent thing that you we've seen and you've shared shared is the these commercials that QuickBooks Live has put out in regards to their service, which is really slick. It looks like a, a Super Bowl ad. Like, I mean, it looks like a Super Bowl commercial. Yeah, um, that quality, level of quality. And they, I think yeah, that's, yeah. They, they, they've launched the QuickBooks Live website. Like, instead of just marketing QuickBooks, there's a QuickBooks Live website, right? Uh -huh, and that yeah. video is on there. And if you look at that video, it's very realistic. That was my takeaway. Because it's not like, remember when they came out with that video in QuickBooks did a few years back, and the guy's 
like an Uber driver and he's driving his uh, Tesla right. and there's QuickBooks <laughs> video accountant popping up on the screen. Like it was just so, not that it was fake, but it was very visionary. Right. Like this video seemed very, very real. And my understanding is it's the real pro advisor and it's a real small business that's using QuickBooks Live. So, yeah, but, yeah. But, it, but Danny DeVito is doing the voiceover. Like it's a, so, so if you think about this, like Intuit is probably going to run a commercial for a bookkeeping firm. Yeah, a national campaign for a bookkeeping firm. Think about, digest that for a bit, right? It's it's a bookkeeping firm. <laughs> they're they're ma- yeah, they they're making the huge. ad. They're making the service. They're making the ad like in the mainstream, right? And and making it so it's like wow, wow, bookkeeping. Yeah, I need that. And um, the red, you, know, you can relate. I, I mean, I watched it. I went, oh my gosh, this is going to attract so many new customers to do bookkeeping or outsource bookkeeping that have, aren't doing that now. So yeah, a many lot of people, more. yeah, a lot of, I think a lot of small business owners like bookkeeping, I'll just have my secretary do it, right? That's the mindset, right? Now it's like, oh, I can get somebody who specializes in bookkeeping, right? Like it's going to create a lot of demand. It's, it's a pretty amazing um, thing that's happening, I think. Yeah. I think it's, it's huge. And David, I, I want to I repeat something you said on the podcast that I was, I was jogging and I only do that like once a month. And I literally, <laughs> and I literally stopped and said, what? Hold on, rewind this. Okay. If, you, if you look at simple math, right? There's what, 4 million QuickBooks Online users. If Intuit picks up 1% of their clients into bookkeeping, mm-hmm. right? Which now we're talking about what, 400,000 clients? <laughs> or, or 40,000. 40,000 40, 40, clients. 40,000 clients. Times I was multiplying times 10 with the 12. So times $400 a month times 12 months. We are now a what? A $19 billion uh, industry or something. I mean, it's just some insane number that puts into it in like the top 10 accounting firm. Yeah, I like think the- if uh, Blake kind of ran some of the numbers based on um, Rich Priest said, based on what they plan on hiring, it's project- Blake and I kind of did some backwards math and we're like, okay, they're expected to get about 10,000 on this in the next nine, nine to 12 months. So now you do that math, and that's something that puts Intuit as like the number sixty biggest accounting firm. Yeah, forty-eight million, forty-eight million a year. Yeah, yeah, just wow. just in a year, just in a year, they'd be they'd be in the top one hundred firms in the country. That's just crazy wow. to think about. It's that's just like, crazy. Yeah, and they could do it. I mean, they very well could do it. I think, and this is what I've said early on, and you know, and um, I think the interesting thing for us firm owners. Um, because I think, I think the, I think the opportunity is just wild out there. Right. Cause if you think about it, 40,000 or 10,000, let's say they get, let's say get a hundred thousand. Well, there's three, what going on to 4 million QuickBooks online users. They'll get there right across the world. Or in, I don't know what's in the country. Let's say 3 million, they get 30,000. That's like I said, 1%, um, 1%. Well, there's still thousands more for other firms to work with. Millions more to for other firms. So I could have a thousand. Brittany could have a thousand. Hector, you know, get a thousand for everybody, yeah. right? And we'd all you still be. You get a thousand. Everyone gets a thousand. So we all yeah. get that. We'd all still be. We'd all still be small in, in a blip in the size of the industry, right? And the potential market size, which is very interesting. So I think the 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 I think the the innovation here is what happened when Uber came out. The taxi drivers. The taxi drivers had more options to go drive taxis for Uber, right? To drive their taxi for Uber now. They didn't have to drive for the for Yellow Cab. They didn't have to drive for the taxi company or the regulated industry. I think the 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 scenario here is the firms, us firm owners, have the risk of being the yellow cab. We're yellow cab and into its Uber. And if and the war for talent is real, right? So you we either need to learn how to really provide value to the employees we have to say, you don't have to go to Intuit. You don't have to go to QuickBooks Live and work for them. We're going to give all the value you need and want and the flexibility, the remote work, all that in our firms. Or the reality is they're going to go, wait, I can work for Intuit and control my destiny. That's the whole point of an Uber driver driving for Uber. I don't want to work for the taxi company. So I think the war for talent is going to ratchet itself up especially if they're planning to get 10, you know, higher 500 provisors yeah. and then it becomes a thousand and it becomes 2000. 
but, right. but it's not just yeah. Yeah. So the, it's just not intuit, right? There's a lot of VC money chasing this, right? You have the pilots. Pilot yeah. announced they're going to hire 500 people in Nashville. You have right. the digital factors. Um, Cedrus is out there. Uh, I know I'm going to throw Botkeeper, yeah. Uh, and Botkeeper's in that gray area. And so they're out there. Even yes, uh, I said we talked about this week on the podcast. Um, one of those people in that small business lending space bought an accounting app called Dilly. Uh-huh. And in the press release, deep down in there, they have a little line. You know, if you pay for the paid service, you get a bookkeeper as well assigned to you to do your reconciliation. So I was like, that sounds a lot like QuickBooks Live. So a lot of people are doing this. But the one thing that I think, uh, a lot of the reactions to this video yesterday, uh, that was out, I think it was today, I think I shared it today. Some of the reactions were, well, let's see what about niches, like lawyers. If you do not think that this is not gonna happen in niches, I think you're crazy. Because if you think about what Intuit's doing, Intuit's going to take a $40 a month subscriber and turn them into a $400 a month subscriber. So let's take Clio Law Firm Software, which is niche software for mm. niche software for lawyers. They're getting lawyers pay 150 bucks a month for that software. If they could take that lawyer and turn them into a $500 a month subscriber, you don't think Clio's going to do the exact same thing? If this is going to go through yeah. everywhere. The, this is the new model, and the reason it's the new model is that's what customers want. And then proof of that is in TurboTax Live. Mm-hmm. It is the most successful TurboTax offering in 30 years. Right. On the other side of the coin, I like to make a really yeah. important point. I would love to. I would love to be a fly in the wall at Bookkeeping Live when these e-commerce clients start hiring <laughs> into it. Right. I mean, it would, just, it would just be funny in a very nerdy, weird way, you know, because because the reality is, and what Brittany what Brittany's saying is, look, you're gonna have these employees now that mm-hmm. are gonna spend three, four, five years working on the same industry. And they're going to build this knowledge that is really not transferable into a knowledge base. Mm-hmm. You can transfer how to reconcile into a knowledge base. You can put, you can create internal guides mm-hmm. on how to gather documents and how to scan them and, and, and how to deal with uncategorized transactions. You can build knowledge bases all, all about that to, you know, to teach your new clients coming in. But that tacit knowledge that, that the person that's working with the same industry over and over and is watching all these people do things, this type of stuff, these employees don't even think to document because they don't, they, they don't see them as a hard skill. Hey, oh, I just learned how to, you know, I just, I just learned to pay attention to how far, uh, you know, the weight was from the machine where they <laughs> weight, the, you know, the corn after they process it, you know, like that type of stuff you can't write down. You can't, I mean, you could, but it doesn't occur to you because it's not standard stuff. Okay. So Michael's saying the war for talent is real. This stuff gets ac- accentuated even mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. with niche. Well, it's, it's the value. Because, I mean, yeah. you're just talking about all the things that is true about it. It's the value, right? The, the, the uh, profit loss statement balance sheet are not value. You can't, like people can't just value bill because they're creating a profit loss on a balance sheet. And this whole, this ridiculousness of like advising and, there's 5,000 dashboard apps and like, give them a dashboard. That's advising and charge them value for the dashboard you're providing. It's not value. The value's in telling them how to run their business. Mm-hmm. Like seriously run nice. their business. Like Chris Farman, he doesn't go to accounting conferences. He goes to brewery conferences, yeah, right? right? He goes to breweries. He's rolling up his sleeves. He helps a brewer move from a small regional brewery that maybe has been spinning their wheels for three years and turning them to a, a mid-market level brewery that's doing two or three states. Right. He knows how to do that. And that's, that's value. And like, all this other stuff we think we're telling people to do, like be an advisor. Like that's not, no, you have to provide value. And the way you provide value is getting good at something. Advisory story. Uh, Brittany, go ahead. Go ahead oh, I was going to say there's some industries that will never lend themselves well to the QuickBooks live approach of accounting, which right. is right cash accounting, right? Like they're not really engaged in, in the accrual side of things. For example, with e-commerce, they're, they're going to be doing that where they just record the deposit that's settled from Amazon and calling it income. Like they're not going to be costing with construction companies. They're not going to be doing, uh, um, any like form of in- inventory, any, any manufacturing, form. Yeah. any form of inventory, yeah. any forms of variance analysis or anything like that or setting up any sort of those kinds of systems. So there are certain industries that will never lend themselves well to cash accounting at all. I was gonna mention, yeah, Brittany, you're absolutely right. I was gonna mention on the on the whole, you know, crazy advisory through through dashboards. 
you know, sometimes advisory is just telling the client, I don't think so. So I'll tell you what I mean. I'll tell you what I mean. I have some clients that I know so well that if I allow them to develop this story in their mind or this idea, they're going to go insane and make their business go, 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 you know, go belly up. So they call me and says, Hector, I've been thinking about this idea. And I say, sure, tell me your idea. I want to change this model to this. I want to sell to this market. I want to do this. And sometimes I just tell them, you know what? I don't think it's a good idea. And they go back and say, thank you. That's all I wanted to hear. And that's it. That was advisory. And, and you can't package that. You can't, right. you can't put a value on that. All yeah. they wanted is they wanted comfort and confirmation that yeah. whatever they're thinking and we're business owners, if you're a business owner, you know this. You wake up with an idea that will consume you until you test it or until you figure out if it works or, or until you Google the heck out of it to see if someone else is doing it. And sometimes you just need to bounce it off someone else that you trust their judgment uh, you know, because they're conservative or not conservative or whatever. You trust their judgment. You, you trust their vision. And sometimes somebody telling you, no, you know what? Don't worry about it. Yeah, don't, don't even think about it. That's it. That's, that's advisory. And you may have saved somebody's livelihood. And also at the same time, you may have stopped someone from you know, revolutionizing their industry. But, it, but in many ways, you know, I, I, I feel that advisory is not as complicated as people make it think. And because I niche, because I understand manufacturing more than, not more than anyone else, but more than the average bookkeeper, because I do other things. And I think that when a manufacturer inventory type company, they come up with these crazy ideas and they ask me and they trust me, sometimes two, two minutes on the phone, that's it, that was advisory. And that you can't structure, you can't charge for, you can't bill, you can't, you can't put in a knowledge base, you can't market it, right? That's only, that's only judgment and trust. And, and, and the only way to develop that, because nobody's born with it, is through practice and repetition. And the best way to do practice and repetition, the best possible way, is to do the same thing over and over for the same type of clients. Yes, it's boring, but yes, it becomes a superpower. Right. And, and that and superpower development is boring, right? That's how it works. I think you know that you've really made progress in niching when your clients feel like you've advised them when you just had a sales call with them. When they come out of just a basic sales call, educated and informed with solid direction on where they want to go, whether they end up working with you or not, just walking them through the sales process was advisory to them. You know you've made serious progress on niching. Yeah, Blair Enns, the, the author of uh, Win Without Pitching, who's one of the podcast hosts of Two Bobs, which Michael mentions. And I'm sorry I had to say it because I, I love him. I'm, I'm actually infatuatedly in love with Blair Enns. He <laughs> says, the sale is the sample. The sale is the sample, okay? Your, your, your first interaction with your client is the sale, is the sales process, is the sales call. You want to give somebody a sample of how good you are, nail down that sales process. I know how to ask the right questions, understand the industry, have that feeling for, for what they're going to say and, 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 and use the right jargon. You make that connection with them, which only develop through niching and the sales sample. People say, I love this guy or I love this gal. She understands me. And in five minutes, she understands me. And you, the only way to do that is if you've seen it before. And the only way to see it before is to see a whole bunch of people that look just like that mm -hmm. client. So I will continue to be uh, pushing just like Brittany and, and David Leary. And I'll, I'll, I'll end it with that because I think we're past the hour. I will continue to push niche because of that, because it does become a superpower. It gives you, it gives you instincts that you can't build anywhere else. It gives you confidence that you can't mm -hmm. build anywhere else. And it gives you the ability to, to move around sales conversations so smoothly and so suave. And, and you, can't, you can't go to a class for that. Right? Mm -hmm. Because you've done it before over and over and over and over. So that, that, that's what I th that's the sexy part of niching. I think regardless <laughs> of what it is, you know, right. you know cannabis, whatever, you know, that's the sexy part. The sexy part is walking in like a ray of sunshine where the client goes, I so want to work with this person. And that's the position you want to be in. Right. Yeah. David, David, right. any, uh, as we end our time, any words of wisdom prof from the prophet David? Um, prophet. Of, of, <laughs> any words of wisdom as, uh, you know, and, and uh, any words of wisdom if, 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 if somebody's trying to start out in this or somebody's got a firm and they're like, okay, they want to take this serious and then we go out after like Brittany does. 
any words of wisdom from you and Brittany, how about, you know, any words of wisdom from you and somebody that wants to go in this route of niching? My whole thing is you just have to put in the work. And I, and I, I can't even argue this now as on my own journey with the, even the podcast, right? The reason the podcast is kind of successful is because we just do it. <laughs> Every week we do it. We don't skip. We don't, we didn't do six hours and get bored or six hours or six episodes and be like, ah, it's too much work. We just did it. Like, and I think that's like what Hector was just saying. And I just tweeted it out that whole, like, yes, it's boring to do something over and over and over again, but that's how you become an expert and that's how you have your superpower. And I think Hector really said it well. That's great. great. Brittany, how about you? Yeah, I would say if you're going to pick a niche and it, it is a frightening journey, I can attest to that. I could speak, I could talk for hours on all of the roadblocks we ran into and all the learning curves we faced. You know, there are certain services that I consider vanilla services, bookkeeping, reconciliations, bill pay, invoicing, payroll. If you're going to niche, you need to be niching in something that requires you to go beyond those vanilla services because everybody can do vanilla services. And so the real power of niching is the way it sets you apart, which really requires you to be on some sort of learning curve. And those vanilla services, if you never get past those vanilla services, you're not really on any kind of learning curve and you're not you're not able to differentiate yourself in any way. So it's an investment for sure. We, we made a serious investment in e-commerce space in time, in money, in resources, in commitment. And it is, it is really paying off now, but it was no, it was no spring walk. Like it was a lot of work and it was a really difficult path, especially the marketing thing. I mean, learning the accounting was really tough. Figuring out how to not go out of business when we started saying no to everybody else was equally as challenging. That's good. That's good. That's really, really great advice. And I guess my, my final comment, um, um, is, uh, in, in regards to advisory, I, I totally agree with you guys. Like everyone's harping on advisory. It's funny. I'm actually doing a, I'm, I think I'm going to be doing a session on advisory at some point uh, this year. Um, but I actually don't believe everybody should be doing it. Uh, I don't think everybody can do it unless you've built expertise. The true advisory, the true value of advisory comes because you've built expertise in an area um, what, and it's an industry or process or, um, and so you got to be able to speak well in that area, um, instead of trying to be a, a generalist advisor, which, which doesn't really sell. And there's not a lot of value in that. Um, so, so what you guys spoke to actually catapult people into that advisory level, they're seen as an expert and as an advisor in that area, um, by niching. And so I think, I think what you guys both said is really, really great. Um, but yeah, thank you both for joining us. This has been Awesome, and we love to have you back. At, yeah, love to have you back anytime. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Hector, Hector will be bugging both of you um, for the next next uh, many weeks to have you back on. So, <laughs> awesome, sounds right. good. Have a good Thanks night, you guys. guys. Okay, talk good to night. you later. Good night, okay, everybody. Bye.